Good morning, everyone, and welcome again to the Mindwolf Podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything new and trending and innovative in the mining and natural resources industries. Uh, welcome from me, MP Stradom, and my co-host, Jan Roo. Today, MP, you have a fantastic host of a skill and of a capability of somebody that we've never interviewed before, MP. That's right. Uh, today, we're going to be speaking with uh, Vladimir Sisuyev. Vladimir is currently a global portfolio manager for uh, Sixth Sense at uh, Epiroc, but really his area of speciality lies in the worlds of automation and, uh, and digitization in the mining industry. Vladimir is, um, uh, has a background of, uh, in, in mining technology a very unique degree, I, I would think, that he got from uh, Moscow State University in a master's degree in mining technology. Now, I was very interested when I when I saw that, so I'm really looking forward to having a uh, an interesting discussion about automation in the in the world of mining, both automation very near to the vehicle and automation generally speaking. So, uh, welcome to the Mindwall Podcast, Vladimir. Thank you. And uh, thank you for having me here today. Yes, of course, you're not speaking from Moscow at the moment, are you? No, that's correct. I'm speaking from Orobro, where I'm uh, based today, working in uh, in a headquarter of our underground division of Epiroc. So that's, well, that's my... fantastic. That's fantastic. Welcome again, uh, Vladimir. And, and um, you know, as we always do, I, I started talking about your qualification there, but we'd love to hear a little bit more about your background. Automation is such a big um, trending topic and, 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 and a big thing in, in general in the mining, uh, well, in, in the world out there. You know, I, I was very entertained over the weekend. I watched a, a, a bit of videos on, on YouTube and I saw this, uh, I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but when you press a button on your Tesla, you know, it, it, your, your Tesla comes to you. You call your Tesla. I mean, that was just a fantastic part of automation. But we don't necessarily mean complete automation and autonomous vehicles. Whenever we speak about automation, there, there are levels of automation, and we're going to be talking about that as well. Before we jump in then, uh, Vladimir, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? And, and we'd love to, to learn more about what uh, what you did and what qualified you to be a leader in this world of automation. With a great pleasure, MP. Uh, sure. Um, I was uh, I was born in um, uh, not exactly in Moscow, but a little bit outside Moscow in Russia, and I'm representing the third generation of the mining engineers. Uh, so. Wow. That was, yeah, uh, pretty much the continuation of, of uh, my family's tradition to, to start uh, a career in mining and to go uh, to the Moscow Mining University. Right. And um, uh, yeah, I have graduated this university first as a uh, bachelor uh, and, and then I obtained a master's degree in, in mining technology. Uh, and then I've been staying in Moscow uh, for uh, for a few years and uh, uh, been working on the different uh, enterprises, but ended up in uh, Atlas Copco back then. Uh, so it was uh, back in 2007 where, where I, when I get the uh, position of uh, 
LHD product specialist. So it was within uh, the marketing department uh, in the uh, Moscow customer center of Atlas Copco. Mm -hmm. And uh, since then, I did have uh, uh, different uh, different assignments, of course, but mainly I've been focusing on underground machines, uh, mainly loaders and trucks, uh, and mainly focusing on the uh, product management. Uh, so that's that's where my area of expertise was. Yeah, that was a fantastic times actually. This is uh, where I started to get the real experience from the real mines. I think that we have counted something around 54 mines in Russia back then, and uh, I think that I visited. Uh, not all of them, but uh, probably the fair half of uh, of those mines. Yeah. Uh, also, Russia is a big market, big mining market uh, with uh, mining traditions. When I joined the company, it was the time uh, when Atlas Copco introduced the first computerized loader. We in Russia, we have received uh, the unit number three in the world. And uh, that was a journey because it was a really new product and we had all these, um, I don't know if that's the right word, childhood sicknesses of the machine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've been updating this, so they are improving the design and adopting the machines into their mining realities. After that, I uh, moved to, to Sweden and that was in back back in 2014 when um, I got the position of the product manager uh, for utility vehicles here, here in Orbrunk. After two years, so in 2016, I joined the automation team and this is where yeah. my, my real journey as an automation expert started. What, what I learned during that time, actually, that it was uh, really a significant shift on the industry. Uh, in the automation because mining has always been perceived as a very conservative industry. So it was uh, quite a big resistance uh, from uh, having the newest technology and miners, they usually be, uh, they usually were really concerned about having the uh, newest technology on the mine. So they would like that someone try that first before they start to adopt. Of course, yeah. Maybe it would be fair to say that some five to seven years ago, I could see the really the shift of the of the industry, and um, we have changed of being us pushing the technology on the market. Mm -hmm. Right now is a market uh, who is pulling the technology from us. So I don't know what what has happened back then. Whether it uh, was uh, the shift of the of the management mentality, maybe younger generation came across. Everybody died for effectiveness and efficiency, maybe, and safety, maybe. Mm. Yeah, correct. So there are probably there is a variety of different factors, mm. uh, legislation, regulation. Then also the technology became quite uh, quite mature right now. So everybody has uh, their routers at home, and everybody knows how to deal with the Wi-Fi. Mm. So right now, mining is really growing, growing segment uh, wow. for the. Vladimir, clearly you have the right background to have an opinion about this growing up in mining, having seen all the mines there. But let's do a bit of education and maybe our audience already are educated on this. So educate Empion and myself. Tell me about the five levels of automation, you know, that you guys do the designs to and that um, should be considered when uh, buying equipment and when implementing it for the long term in a mine. Sure, sure. 
well, first of all, uh, we are definitely not on the highest level of, uh, of the automation, if talk, uh, generally speaking about the industry. Markets and the mines, they are different, actually. Different countries, different, uh, different approach, different mentalities. What I could see today, I would say that we are probably around the third level of the automation currently. This is where the uh, um, yeah, current level of technology is. So, which means that uh, operating the loader or the truck, you can do uh, the autonomous routes there. So, you pre-record the routes and then you can send the vehicle uh, to do this route. Or speaking about drilling rigs, then uh, the drill rigs, they are able to do the certain operation in autonomous mode. And, and, and that's called conditional automation, where, where the vehicle can do certain tasks uh, automatically in certain controlled environments. Am I right? Yes, correct. You still uh, should have the operator uh, sitting and, and doing the surveillance and be able to intervene the process and do some adjustments. Yeah. Uh, in the current level, you already able one operator can control more than one uh, one, one machine at a time. And that's when uh, they are doing it remotely, of course. Yeah, correct, uh, correct. And uh, that's the whole uh, the whole meaning out of the having the automation is to actually remove the operator from the exposed areas. That's pretty much the end goal for the industry on how to remove the person from underground and uh, put the person on the surface as, as much as possible. Uh, one can immediately see what the value of that is. You know, so if, if one operator can operate more than one machine, immediately there's an efficiency kicking in over there. Just tell us generally about, uh, in conclusion of the five levels, uh, and you're saying we are at level three, and I see that it's called limited autonomy. Level four would start steering upwards to full control in certain situations. We're not there, but what type of efficiencies are we already achieving in those five levels? I think that the biggest gain comes from, from consistency of the operations. The automation is not about removing the people from the operation at all, okay. but okay. of course it's about having the higher safety and uh, having the uh, consistency out of the operation. So mm -hmm. you know that uh, this particular cycle or this particular operation will take that much time today, it will take that much time tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. So you can I do see. the efficiency planning. So okay. I, I think that that is the biggest motivational factor. It's one thing. And another motivational factor is the possibilities to uh, to run the fleet, to run the machines throughout the shift changes, of course. Because uh, what uh, one of the biggest uh, struggles for the mining industry is very low utilization rate of the machines. Uh, there are different factors behind that. One of the biggest factors is the need to remove the personnel from the mine uh, during the shift changes when blasting and ventilation oh. occurs. On these operations, the mines they can spend up to six hours or sometimes even more a day. That's when the mine stays completely empty and idling. Mm -hmm. So imagine that you can you can still keep the machines there in, in underground that continue to work even throughout the shift changes. So, that's so we increase the number of productive hours automatically just because the machines are able to continue and, and they don't have to have uh, operator shift changes. 
Yes, correct, correct. And uh, as, I, as I mentioned, that is among the uh, biggest motivational factors for our customers to implement and uh, to introduce the uh, automation or technology solutions on their side. And then obviously the safety is, is, a, is an immediate benefit of that. Uh, tell us more about safety. Safety is uh, uh, one of the determined factors right now. And uh, what we used to say is that, okay, every next step in the technology or technology development should be safer than uh, than the previous solution. Mm. So whatever we do, whatever we bring on the market, and uh, uh, of course, uh, right now I can speak not only for Epiroc, but probably uh, for uh, every other uh, OEMs that are uh, existing on the market. So the new solution uh, should not compromise on the safety. So if yeah. it's not safer, but more productive, it's not going to fly. So it should be both safe, safer and, and more productive because uh, uh, we cannot afford to be to be unsafe there. For instance, we know that mining industry is is a dangerous one. So there are a lot of uh, people, unfortunately, still get injured on the in the mining operations, mm, mm. and that is sort of acceptable by the market. When it comes to the automation to the technology, uh, having injuries there will. Uh, will provoke the the technology development for us, mm. so it will it will it will I say it will affect uh, the the pace of uh, of mm. development. Uh, that's why we have no no luxury actually to to mm. to compromise on on the safety mm. here. Let's step forward. Um, what immediately comes to mind if you are uh, able to work the six hours that you know the all body stands still and the machine stands still. Lots of other things have to change. What is your uh, experience of uh, how it potentially changes the way that we should plan and control and respond. Uh, I assume that, you know, the faster you can go and the more continuous you can go, it sort of has got a ripple effect back into the organization that everything else needs to speed up as well. You know, the, the technology and the automation is uh, is, is the tool, as, uh, as we used to say. So that's, uh, yeah, that provides you with, with the possibilities to increase, to improve and to be more consistent. Uh, but of course, as any other tool, it's uh, it becomes useless unless you learn how to use it properly and unless you really change your process. And uh, this uh, change management is is a really vital part of uh, of the implementation and technology development process because uh, you really need to adapt. Uh, you receive the new drill rig or the new loader or the truck with the new automated functions. Then uh, there is a human actually who start to use uh, these functions and uh, this uh, human, this operator needs to be skilled enough. So he or she uh, needs to be trained uh, to be able to use that. And then it will provide you with, uh, with the productivity gain with uh, other, other improvements. Of course, and uh, then the mine should adopt their uh, their internal processes to be able to get all these gains from, uh, from the machine. Mm. Very, very interesting. MP, let's delve into a little bit more of the specifics of Epiroc. Now, this is not an Epiroc or a minor P podcast, as we always say. Uh, we also need to explore from other people, but uh, Vladimir being uh, so skilled happens to be from Epiroc. Let's find out what are the technologies there. 
Yeah, I'd like to talk about two things. Maybe just, just before I dive in there, uh, Vladimir, you know, when we talk automation, we always think about self-driving vehicles. <laughs> but uh, I also uh, know about uh, Epiroc's drive to eliminate live work or live work uh, elimination, which, which entails things like automated drill bit changing and so on. So there's also those kinds of things that, you know, automated vehicle positioning and automated, uh, you know, equipment changes and so on, that also keeps people safe, isn't it? And that's part of automation as well, or isn't it? Correct, correct. There is never all or nothing when you talk about the automation or technology implementation. So it's always the stepwise stepwise yeah. approach. So you are doing the small steps towards uh, your final goal, uh, towards your targets. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, what do these steps mean? That you do the small uh, additions to your process, to your machines. And usually it starts with the small uh, features, functions, and options that you add to the machines. Uh, all these things like uh, bit changer or autonomous drilling cycle or implementation of the, uh, let's say, drill plans or, yeah, all these things. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the small steps that uh, usually minds implementing in their in their processes uh, towards, towards their, their goals. And of course, yeah, as I mentioned, that uh, every step will get you closer to uh, uh, higher productivity, higher efficiency and higher safety. Yeah. So if we talk about automation in general, some of the uh, most important uh, parts of that is the ability of the machine to be able to perceive its environment. You know, so we as humans, we use our eyes and our ears and our uh, senses and, and, and we sense what's going on in the environment around us. You know, most of us who have watched, have grown up with watching Hunt for the Red October, we know about the ping sound that the <laughs> that the submarines made. They used sonar to to perceive the environment, and and, and from sonar it went to radar, uh, and which is a little bit more accurate than and from radar to lidar. But all of these are really just detection and ranging, ranging or navigating capabilities. And maybe MP, it's also app that that this title includes the word sixth sense. You know, so what does that mean? Exactly, exactly. So I, I'm very curious about going from sonar through radar and LIDAR and now VIDAR or, or, or video detection and ranging such as what, what Tesla uses. I mean, they're doing away with rearview mirrors for crying out loud. Uh, what kind of, of, of environmental sensing capabilities does Epiroc either envisage or, or have you already tested uh, in the market out there? First of all, I think that would be worth to mention that Comparing automotive industry or comparing what's happening on, on the surface with, with yeah. underground. Uh, underground is uh, way much more tricky conditions uh, that you, you face uh, with there. So mm -hmm. as we used to say that if there is any small chance that something will break, then it will definitely break. <laughs> uh, yeah. Another difference is uh, again, comparing with the autom automotive uh, industry, that's car manufacturers. It's it's a high volume product, so they have a standard product, and then they they sell a high volumes. So I assume they have um, 
really big R&D budgets that uh, they, they can play with and uh, try different technologies. Mm. Uh, in the mining industry, is is not a high volume product and it's really, really harsh environment. So mm. I think uh, for, for us, is pretty much about the adaptation, the achievements on the surface into the underground conditions. Right, so okay. uh, what, what we are doing, we see uh, or we observe uh, the surface market, see what's what's available there, and then uh, making the decision, okay, let's try that in the underground conditions and see if that's going to work. Sure. And in that sense, uh, and again, here I'm not speaking specifically about Aprok. I'm pretty much sure that it can be applied for other other players as well. That uh, we are uh, say one step behind. Uh, the surface. So whatever you can see uh, Tesla is trying uh, or is playing with, <laughs> then it will be in underground probably in uh, one, two, three, four, five years from now. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you, you need to adopt this. You need to adopt uh, to properly protect it so it, it can it can survive uh, and withstand uh, the underground conditions. Mm -hmm. Today, in, in the industry, uh, there is an attempt to use uh, these uh, leaders on the yeah. machines and mm -hmm. uh, these, uh, to have this uh, uh, 3, 3D environment perception Correct. for the machine. So, uh, the but machine can recognize itself in the, in the mine, in the drift. Mm -hmm. And right now we are learning the machines to recognize the environment more precisely so the machine can detect uh, whether it's human or any other object or uh, maybe to detect other vehicles there and start talking to each other sure so 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 we have we've gone past mere mere obstacle detection and avoidance and it is now about also object recognition and knowing what kind of a thing it is and what it's doing there and so on and and, and i think that it kind of speaks to the comment that you made, uh, Jean, about knowing whether, you know, if I recognize something there, is it supposed to be there? Does, does this action occur on a plan somewhere? And and uh, if so, how should I react when it does, when it shouldn't be there and, and so on? So there's all kinds of opportunities that emerge beyond merely just operating safely. And, and again, these things will offer uh, productivity and efficiency and even effectiveness cap uh, capabilities or improvements when uh, when our processing power, the machine learning that you've referred to, et cetera, uh, reaches maturity for, for underground uh, vehicles as well. Um, when you've implemented this, uh, you know, uh, automation for customers, uh, understanding that it that it has to focus, that it has to be very robust and it has to start um, Kind of at a humble level, you know, or more humble at least than what you'd see on the highways. Um, what are some of the uh, experiences that you've had at, at real customer sites? Some of the feedback, some of the, uh, of the successes. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about that. Uh, there, there is there is a variety of different uh, different references and uh, and experiences with, uh, that we are uh, getting on market and. Uh, the funny part of uh, being employed by APROC uh, is that we have the access to pretty much the entire world, so we can yes. we can see uh, different different parts of the world and uh, different markets, different 
different cultures uh, there. So I wouldn't say that uh, we have enough time, you know, to uh, to tell about all the experience that we are gaining on the market, but maybe uh, some um, uh, most uh, significant ones. Uh, I would say that uh, one of the uh, most interesting cases uh, that is coming from Australia, where uh, one of our customers stated that uh, they cannot afford their humans in uh, in underground conditions. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, for them it, it becomes the safety uh, safety issue. So right now they are exploring the ore bodies that are located in the areas with a really high risk of of the mud rush. So in order to uh, to continue the operations there, they need to eliminate the presence of personnel on the daily operations. Of course, they can probably they can have some maintenance there or some constructions or development, but during the daily operations, they can't they can't really have anyone to yeah. be there on the machines. So in um, and we have we have a joint project with with this site, and the goal of this project is to eliminate uh people completely there from from the daily operations so it's a completely uh full fully autonomous cycle uh with the loaders but also it is some auxiliary operations supposed to be uh autonomous as well or uh to be done remotely at least oh, okay. uh, so yeah. we're not, uh, we not letting people to go there and uh, that put us in the position when we need to integrate actually the uh, vehicles and the machines from other OEMs, other vendors into a, a common ecosystem there. And yeah. that's uh, that's the most exciting part of this. So uh, we have APROC machines and we have uh, machines from other uh, other manufacturers running in the same in the same area in the same environment and uh, they are in the same system. So they share the data and the operators can see them both. As That's a huge win to be able to achieve that because as you know, as Minor P knows certainly, you know, integrating different systems from different providers and so on, that sounds like an easy job, but it is an incredible achievement if you get it right. Correct, correct. And uh, uh, th there's one more thing that I, I wanted to mention about that. Uh, that in, in at some stage uh, at Eprock, uh, we came to the conclusion that okay, having everything or all the development and under one roof, uh, that's probably not the way that uh, we can actually be on the market. So we need to open yes. ourselves and to be as as open as possible for other integrators, systems, or other OEMs. Wow. Uh, so to be uh, to give this opportunity uh, to our customers to choose how they want uh, to set up their internal systems. Very interesting. So uh, it seems that this change that the, that you mentioned uh, in Australia is like a whole systems change. You know about the operating models and the people, and it's a, it, it looks like it's a multi-year project. So tell us about uh, the future. What? How does it look like? for uh, the things that EPROC wants to do. You mentioned open systems. I'm sure that that drives quite a lot, but what are the trends that you guys are seeing in the market and what trends do you think you are leading? Speaking, speaking about the trends, first of all, there are, there are market trends that uh, we, we could uh, recognize. We are uh, working 
uh, towards you. Speaking about the market, I think that we, we mentioned that already. Uh, we are talking mm -hmm. about uh, the safety and environmental regulation, so it, it becomes tougher. Uh, we see that many of our customers, they go deeper in their minds, so it becomes uh, more challenging for them uh, yeah. to extract the ore. So it's, uh, yeah, you have all this uh, struggles with, with uh, rock reinforcement, ventilation, heat, and so forth. Another big, uh, big challenge for our customers is actually is uh, the uh, scarcity of uh, skilled labor. Uh, yeah, young people, uh, they, they don't want to go and uh, do the hard job anymore. Uh, I used to think that I belong to these millennials, so the next generation is Zoomers and uh, whoever comes next. And we already, already in my generation, uh, we more used to uh, uh, have having a game controller or or keyboard than than exactly uh, than than uh, levers or, or joysticks, right? And and, uh, and and a nice gaming chair. I'm sure that you guys offer uh, that as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so it it becomes it becomes the problem that that uh, unless our customers find a way to solve, then uh, they will be in. Uh, uh, in in the shortage of, uh, of of the labor. Basically, we are trying to address these uh, these uh, market trends. And uh, speaking about our goals or, or roadmaps, uh, I would say that there are uh, two main areas that that uh, we are working in. Speaking about the automation, so one area is to to uh, complete the autonomous cycle. So to to make the certain processes. Uh, to be as much autonomous as, as possible, and then to stitch these different uh, different parts of the cycles, uh, different parts of autonomous cycles together. So we are aiming towards having the entire mining cycle with uh, no need of uh, presence, uh, human presence on the uh, on the machine. Wow. You know? wow. The second big area is uh, is to have the uh, mixed environment. So what we call the mixed traffic is. Uh, to give the perce this perception to the machine, so the machine, autonomous machine, can safely work uh, in a mixed environment where personnel or other manual-operated wow. vehicles are. Okay. Autonomous and non-autonomous vehicles in the same environment as well. Correct. Correct. Yeah, sure. That's very interesting. Uh, so the the sixth sense offering and the the division that you run sixth sense. How does that become part of it? When it comes to the sixth sense, uh, in the sixth sense, uh, we, we combine the, uh, all the uh, autonomous or digital solutions that we have in, in Aperoc. As you know, sixth sense is uh, what we have company-wise, and uh, we put uh, the entire automation or digitalization portfolio under the sixth sense. So uh, it is kind of umbrella that uh, covers the entire uh, wow. autonomous or, or digital portfolio in our company. Yeah. MP, I, th I think this is a topic that we can delve into more to go and find all the other things around Sixth Sense and show the, show our audience uh, and learn with our audience around what that means. All right. So as we close this discussion, you know, as Jean said, we, the, the, there's so much that we can learn. There's so much that we can carry on talking about. We can probably talk for another two hours. Uh, but Vladimir, we always close our podcast by asking our guests what they are reading. We want to learn a little bit more about you and what you find interesting beyond your work and maybe inside your work. So what's on your bedside table? 
appreciate this question. Uh, uh, it's one of my passions, actually, to uh, yeah, to 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 read. And yeah. Uh, yeah, if you go to my place, then you will probably see uh, two two books on my desk. Uh, so one book is Swedish researcher Hans Rosling, and uh, his famous book uh, Factfulness. I don't know, maybe, maybe you have heard about that. I've heard no, about for sure. Book, yes. We've had several guests talking about it. My personal friend, uh, friends have commented on that. Uh, so I have not read that yet. You must tell us about it. Yeah, and uh, for me, it's a good alternative to all this sad news that you can see on the, on the internet. Then you open the book and then you realize that, okay, the world is not as bad as, as you, you might think and used, used to think about it. Maybe it's worth to mention that one of my favorite periods in the literature is, uh, is uh, Russia in the uh, 60s. So that was uh, still a Soviet time, but it was sure. the time of liberalization. So there are a few authors appeared that, uh, that uh, started to... Uh, outside the, the box. So they were, I, in my opinion, they were one of the uh, bravest and uh, uh, most talented people in, uh, in, the, in that period, during that period. Mm -hmm. Many of them ended, uh, ended up outside the country. So they were forced actually to leave the country because uh, outside the box thinking was not that welcome uh, back oh. then. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah, and uh, right now there is a book that I'm I'm currently read uh, is uh, the author is uh, Vasily Aksyonov, uh, mm -hmm. so the Russian guy, and uh, specifically the book's name is is uh, Crimea Island. Right. Wow. It it sounds like uh, similar to the Gulag uh, Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which yes. I enjoy a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, and by the way, he yeah he started also pretty much in sixties. Uh, uh, so he he belongs to this group of authors that that's uh, I personally really admire. Wow, Vladimir, that's very very interesting. Thank you for spending time with us this morning, and uh, we'd love to learn more about uh, you know your experience in automation and of course what Epidoc's doing. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us and. Um, we're looking forward to to hearing the comments from our from our listeners and to you and your team all the best thank you for for spending time with us it was a big pleasure for me to stay in here today thank you for inviting me